The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for operational excellence? Welcome to the Visual Workplace, work that makes sense, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace. You can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. Hi. Hi there, everyone. Welcome to our show today. Welcome to our show. You are entering the visual workplace, and I'm your host, Gwendolyn Galsworth. I've had about 30 years in the field. Actually, it's getting close to 31 or 2. I've lost track. I've been studying workplace visuality, thinking about and studying brain function, codifying the elements of the visual workplace, finding the principles, surfacing them, and it has been a gas. It has been the gift of my life, I believe. It's so much fun and so interesting. Fun because you, because I'm learning and because I am seeing things in a new way and um, being part of the life around me uh, on a level of engagement that has been for me very, very compelling. And it has challenged me intellectually. It has challenged me in every possible sense of the word, <laughs> including physically, because it's been a lot of work. So I want you to, I want to welcome you to our place. It's called the Visual Workplace. And it's about letting the workplace speak. It's about embedding our intelligence, our operational intelligence, how things work, how they're supposed to work, how we want them to work. Wherever we are in a bank, in a hospital, manufacturing, aerospace, mining, retail, dry cleaners, doesn't matter in our own homes, in our kitchens how things are supposed to work, and how do we embed the knowledge that we have inside of our brains and our hearts into the living landscape of that work so that the workplace becomes a partner with us in making it function. There's a real partnership, and it's a partnership between our great mega brains and our great rich hearts and what appear to be inanimate objects, tools and equipment and utensils and benches and floors and ceilings and things like binders of information. How do we get that all out of the file cabinet and out of the computer where so much information is uh, hidden, (laughs) is kept and hidden? And how do we embed it, install it into the landscape of that work itself? That is the purpose of the visual workplace and the result of applying it. And what happens when we do apply it is something extraordinary, which is the foundation of everything that comes after. We get meaning and we get flow. 
we get meaning. Suddenly this information is in context and we understand it in a new way. We understand it in a personal, usable, useful way. And we also are more connected to that which is around us. So it has an emotional component, has a technical component. We become a part of the workplace and the workplace has become a part of us. Okay, that's what we mean by letting the workplace speak. And there's a methodology to it, and there's also a set of principles. The principles are above the methodology. They kind of dictate the shape, the overall shape, and purpose, and logic. But the methodology actually helps us to do things with it. And to do them in buckets, or what I call doorways. The doorways of the operator, the doorway of the engineer, the doorway of the supervisor, of the CEO, of the maintenance staff, of the office staff, of the sales staff, all of that. So workplace visuality applies in every venue, every setting, for every level of the organization, and it enables us to flow, to flow in our work. We can even talk about it as my great friend Rick L. did of Denison Hydraulics, now uh, Parker Denison in Marysville, Ohio. He said you can do the dance of work. Come to work and dance. That's why I do it, he said to me. I do it. They also called his particular machine cell, because this was hardcore manufacturing, uh, high-precision hydraulic pumps. He said, they call my cell the no-thinking cell. And the guys who work on second and third shift, it's a union shop, they would vie to work there because they said, you know what? We don't have to think. We know we're not going to make any mistakes. All we have to do, quoting Rick, is the dance of work. These are big, hairy, sweaty guys from Ohio. (laughs) Believe me, when you hear them talk like that, you know you're doing something right. So welcome to the show. We've got a lot of things to do today. I want to put a few frames on things. I have announcements in a moment. There is one I'm very excited about. But uh, what we're going to do, if you've been tracking with us over the last month or two, is that we've started a call-in show. And having done it for uh, every other week, every other week, twice, We've decided that we're going to have our call-in show once a month, the last week of the month, whatever that last Tuesday is or that last day um, uh, of the show is for a month is when we'll have the call-in. We've been getting your emails. We've been getting uh, uh, your responses, and it's been very positive because uh, for ex- what I want to do is keep flowing with the content that I'm presenting as well. And uh, this trainer content, which we've been doing now, this is our third show, has kind of been interrupted. Um, the logic of that has been interrupted. It's been kind of hiccuping along. And I've got two or three shows for sure, too, uh, more shows on the training function, and I want to kind of give it to you in a smooth piece. So um, please send your emails in. We are sorting through them now. Whatever your question is, we promise to get it on air. If you don't want us to use your name, we won't, uh, but we are so happy to hear from you. And the email is simply radio at visualworkplace.com, radio at visualworkplace.com. Our call-in number, and you can call in today, for example. You don't have to wait for the call-in show, but we will answer your question if you were to call in today within this show and if it's related to the show, okay. If it isn't, that's okay, too. So the call-in number is 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790. That's our regular call-in number forever and ever. 
Uh, okay, a few announcements. Uh, wanted to tell you that we are almost ready with the list of podcasts grouped by categories that we had promised you. You can get our, the podcast now directly from our website, and our website is visualworkplace.com. They are free. You can listen to them on our website or you can download them. There's about 80, 85 of them now. There'll be another 20 or so. We'll get up in the next couple of weeks. Uh, sorry, when I travel, things kind of, some things get stalled. Some things go ahead better. But this particular thing got stalled because I need to review it, make sure that we got it right because I'm in charge of the radio show and, you know, I can know, I know it at a, at a glance. Um, but that's, uh, we want to encourage you to use that. That would be really great. And then, um, let me see. Ah, we are doing a visual workplace event, a train, a seminar, two seminars in Portland, Oregon in December, December 9th and 10th, Monday and Tuesday. We're going to do the same visual leadership that we did, and we just decided this yesterday. So if you haven't heard about it, we're going to be sending out a blast probably within the next couple of days. In Portland, Oregon, it'll be at the airport at the Embassy Suites. All the detail will be there. We're trying to keep the price really low because we want you to send folks. And we're going to also offer a send three and the first and the fourth person comes free because we want you to send teams. And we'll do visual leadership the same as we did in Regina a couple of weeks ago, and we will also do our flagship visual workplace visual thinking. We think we're going to also, on the third day, offer a site assessment because it's really, really interesting to do the site assessment with the paradigm, with the learning fresh in your mind. We are thinking about that, and we will know that in the next couple of days as well. So I hope you can come. Um, we are probably going to do one of these um, twice or three times a year here in Portland because it's easier for me to travel down the road instead of hopping on a plane. So we hope you're excited about that. Please be in touch. We're also going to do a training of trainers in the spring uh, and probably be in Portland as well. So those are the announcements. Now let's move on to, to today's show. And remember, what we've been talking about is how to become a brilliant, a superb visual workplace trainer, specifically for training workplace visuality. And that training can happen on many levels. It's like the nine courses that are in our visual workplace curriculum. Some of them are for operators. Some of them are for the maintenance staff. Some of them are for your quality technicians. That's our Pokeyoke, which is fabulous. Some of them are for your CEOs and your managers who are making decisions and then driving their decisions through the organization. That's our visual leadership course. We also have a leadership course for supervisors. But in all cases, the trainer of these visual methods has a particular kind of profile, a kind of, there's a kind of bend to the job description. And that's what we've been talking about. We're in our third show on that topic. And I would describe that bend in this way. First of all, the trainer gets visuality. They get the visual paradigm. It makes sense. And so teaching visuality becomes a matter of passion. We teach it because we love it and because we want others to have the experience of both the flow that results 
And, you know, flow precedes pull. So if you are working to put lean in place or whatever you call your cellular design pull Kanban system, you need to have flow first. You're not going to get flow unless you get visual. So if you're doing 5S and you're only doing the first three five of the S's, you know, uh, order clean and neat and orderly, you'll get something. You'll get some benefit, and you may find that remarkable. But if you don't get visual as well, you're not going to get flow. You're going to get congestion, and you'll wonder why 5S is not working. So you get flow and we call that particular thing for operators, we call it work that makes sense because we want the operator to be able to read their work in the living landscape of work, pull the information from the living landscape of work. So that's the first thing. The trainer has to get visuality, quickly falls in love, and then teaches from that passion. That passion not only is a vehicle for um, energetic training, but it is also a vehicle for the trainer to constantly learn. When we feel passionate, no one has to persuade us to to study something. You re- do you remember what Albert Einstein said? I've I've told you this a few times over the last couple of years, and I say it again. Um, oh my goodness, I've forgotten it. <laughs> Hang on, I'm going to remember it after the break. Uh uh, <laughs> my brain is just gone. <laughs> You'll laugh when I when I tell you what it's about because it's about it's about remembering. Uh, but the the rhythm of the word, the poetry of of what he said is escaping me. I want to get the words right, just right. But when we feel passionate, we want to learn because the learning itself is enjoyment, is joyful is interesting, compels us. So that's the first thing that the trainer needs, a passion for visuality. The second is, and this is distinctive in visuality, is that motion is the lever. We don't talk about waste reduction, even though visuality is a powerful waste reduction strategy. We use a particular name of waste, motion, moving without working, and we use that as the lever. So we're not just creating visual devices as they occur to us or because we saw them on the way to work or in another factory, but we are revealing the missing information because we see the motion. And I've spent many, many shows talking about motion. I'm not going to dwell on it now, but that's distinctive in workplace visuality. And the third, which I'm going to develop a lot in this show through the paradigm of the supervisor, is that the training is eye-driven. From stem to stern, that is a constant principle of the training. And it has more to do with cultivating a way of thinking and seeing than requiring it or mandating it. Okay? So it's an eye-driven paradigm. So we're going into a break now, and I will come back with Einstein's great quote, which I used to have memorized. What's wrong with me? Am I getting old? I must be getting old. I'll see you in a minute. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, hi. Welcome back. This is Gwendolyn. Welcome back to the second segment. Welcome to the second segment of our show today at the Visual Workplace. We are talking about brilliant visual workplace training and brilliant visual workplace trainers. Today we're going to be focusing on the role of the supervisor within that training, and we're kind of just kind of ramping up to it now, reminding people of where we were at before. And I had said before the show, before the break, there are three things that need to be part of the visual workplace trainer's thing. One is that they have to get visuality, fall in love, they teach from their passion, they learn from their passion. Second is there is a constant use of motion as the lever. Motion is what we see when information is missing. And visuality is about embedding information into the living landscape of work. Therefore, we want to see when that information is not there. Motion shows us the activity or behavior that happens when motion, when, when information is missing. We won't really notice the motion. I'm sorry. We won't really notice the information deficit because there's so much in the workplace that is tribal, that is simply passed from person to person as the way that knowledge and know-how gets shared. But if we become sensitized to motion and we use it as a lever, then it will reveal where visual information sharing is needed. So it's really great. So that is a constant. And if you are training visuality and you do not have a lever with which to go deeper, it's like a shovel, then you have an incomplete paradigm. Okay? Moving without working. And the third thing that is that it's eye-driven. And we're going to spend a lot of time on that. Visual workplace training on every level, CEO operator, engineers, maintenance staff, office staff, it is all eye-driven. What do I need to know that I don't know right now in order to do my work? And what do I need to share? What do I know that others need to know that I need to share in order for them to do their work more safely, more completely, higher quality on time? The cultivation of the eye-driven thinking, the eye-driven paradigm, 
is the purpose, one of the three purposes of all visual workplace training. This is not a mandate. You don't say you must think this way. You have to cultivate it because it is a thinking process. And the Einstein quote, which I remembered as I reached for my book before I opened the pages and really humiliated myself, was Einstein's definition of discipline. So we're not doing things because we want to be disciplined and we want to follow the formula and we want to achieve certain levels. It's not that feeling around workplace visuality, even though you're going to get 15 to 30% increase in throughput. And I have been asked by my friends in the textile industry to please not say that. Could I please say 3 to 5 to 8%? Because that's already completely outrageous and spectacular. So I'm going to say that to my friends in the textile industry. If your bosses are listening, please be happy if they get a 3% increase. If they get an 8% increase, please give them your job, okay, because that will be very successful. But I think differently, but we'll see. We're, we're, we're doing an experiment against how many, 14 plants now, <laughs> textile plants, so we'll see what happens. But if you adopt, if you adopt Einstein's definition of discipline, then it is perfectly aligned with the feeling and the content with the knowledge and the know-how of workplace visuality. And this is what Einstein said, not Oprah Winfrey. When I say this, you're going to say, no, that was Oprah. You're confused, Gwenny. What Einstein said is, discipline, discipline, I know what that means. Discipline is remembering what you love. Discipline is remembering what you love. Do you see that? That's the same thing as falling in love with visuality and then pursuing it with a vengeance the way I have for 32 years. It has been such a learning. No one, lots of people say, oh, you know, you're an A-type, you're driven. No, I'm not. I'm in love. And I remember what it is that opens my heart and makes me feel extremely happy to be alive and contributing. And that is visuality, but it may be something else for you. Discipline is remembering what you love. Remember, you you see why I would say this is not a definition from Oprah Winfrey. This was a definition of 50 years ago from Albert Einstein, the man who was chosen to be Time Magazine's man of the 20th century. As we left the 20th century, they had Einstein's face on the cover saying he was the man of the last century. So that that is the visual workplace trainer. They understand this. So we're, we're, we know this is what operators are responsible for in a visual workplace training because we're going to, because we're going to look at supervisors when we're not talking about training supervisors in this show, but what is a supervisor's role when operators get trained? Operators are responsible for learning and applying visual workplace concepts and principles and methods to their own work area. We call that methodology work that makes sense. They are responsible for identifying and reducing motion, all forms of motion by developing visual answers to their recurrent questions. They are responsible for the invention of those solutions, particular to their local challenges. They are responsible for becoming active and contributing visual thinkers. That's what operators do. There's a coordinators who are responsible for the logistics. Now, you may not slice the pumpkin this way, but there is another function that has to do with scheduling, getting the supplies, 
watching the pace of the conversion, measuring bottom line results. But in my book, that is not the trainer responsibility, even though it may be glommed on to the training job or the training office. I want to talk about the transfer of knowledge and the transfer of um, commitment. That is the trainer's responsibility. And as we've said in the earlier shows, trainers are responsible for the training room, the physical layout, and also the ambiance, the emotional quality of the room, a sense of safety, physical and psychological, and also the readiness. We talked about that in our very first show, getting the training room ready. We also talked about what it took in order to get a, uh, a, a training to be successful. So we went through that second show. We talked. To, we we we. I shared the first four principles of an effective training. If you remember, principle one was inspire first and then inform. So you know, be a great teacher by opening people's hearts first, inspire them, and then give them the content. Second principle was this was the last time two weeks ago when we met on this. Principle two is start small. Don't try to train everyone at once because the first cycle is for you. Remember this? You have to learn how to do it. You have to make your mistakes on the first kid. <laughs> Remember I said that? The second kid arrives and, you know, you're, you have more skill, more confidence. The second group, the first kid you send to therapy by the time he's 13 or she's 13, but you get better at your job. You start small and growth is faster and deeper as a result. The third principle was that everybody gets trained. We do not believe in representative training. We say if you've got a big group or you have multi-shift, then try to get them trained all in the same week, the same five days. You're going to have to do it somewhat sequentially, but your intention is everybody gets trained. And also figure out what to do for those people who got sick or are absent or needed to uh, be somewhere else during the training. The fourth principle is the one that we... We're talking about before about making the training room safe, but what we are doing now, and this is a very good segue to what our topic is for today, is to make it safe for the eye, for the eye, because we are operationalizing the the principle eye-driven. And for me, this is one example, and I think a powerful one, of operationalizing respect for the individual, which I think is largely misunderstood by people. People have taken a kind of whole cloth from the uh, Japanese respect for the individual, but how, how does that play itself out? Well, I believe when you are focused on making the training room safe for the individual, whether they are a happy um, and pleasant individual or a grumpy individual that you really don't even want to have lunch with. You have to make it safe for everyone. Everyone has a chance to be heard. Everyone tastes some measure of success. Respect for the individual. Okay, So that is what we're talking about here in the fourth principle. And if you remember the last time we did training, the training show, which was two weeks ago, we talked about normalizing the room in order to create parity, giving a question that everybody gets right there is no wrong answer, and giving along with that a chance for people to find their brains and find their vocal cords by asking them to talk amongst themselves. If you have, if you begin every session, 
even if you have them two days in a row with, I'm going to normalize the room, I'm going to give it an activity, what visual devices did you see on the way into work today, what visual devices did you, uh, uh, did you see in the playground, what visual devices did you see over the weekend, there's no wrong answer. You let people find their answer by f- talking to their neighbor. I like it in pairs. I reluctantly let people talk in twos. I'm sorry, in, in threes. I like them in be in pairs. They find their vocal cords. The brain gets lubricated. And you get a, a much better quality level of inter- interaction as a result. Three, four, five minutes. It costs you seven minutes. And it makes all the difference in the world. Okay? Some people will push back. But it usually doesn't last long because the room becomes warm, it becomes safe, it becomes more dynamic, it becomes, you know, sort of like, well, the beginning of a, um, can I say a party? A party? And remember I ended the last show by taking you for a drive? What car, shall we take a Porsche to my mother's house for her 93rd birthday? You better be on time. No questions asked. How are you going to get there? Visual devices. Things like that. So that's the review up until now. It's taken half the show to bring us here. Please forgive me, Joe. Joe, you know who you are if you're still listening after all these years. Joe asked me during the first, uh, what, three months of my show if I could please get to the point a little bit earlier. I'm still working on it, but, you know, I'm sure sure it's totally unsatisfactory still for, for, for you, and I apologize. So we're going to go on to principle five, which is getting and keeping your supervisors on board. We will marry that with principle six of an effective training, and that is showing your supervisors how to keep a low profile during the training. Very, very provocative topic, very, very important. So we're going into our second break. I'll see you in a minute, and we'll pick up the topic then. Thanks. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1 866 472 5790. That's toll free 1 866 472 5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi there, welcome back. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth. 
Welcome to the third segment of our show today at the Visual Workplace, Becoming a Brilliant Visual Workplace Trainer. And today we're focusing on the crucial role of the supervisor in your visual workplace success. What do supervisors do? Let's not assume that we know. Let's spell it out and see if we've got a match here. If it is, as my friends in Juarez like to say, aligned, if it's aligned. That role, I suspect, is probably not what you or they think it is. Everybody knows it's vital for supervisors and managers to get and stay on board. But what if they don't understand their role properly and they unintentionally spoil the process simply because they don't understand the nature of the change which visuality represents for their direct reports for operators or value-add associates? Okay? Even natural-born, highly successful supervisors may need to adjust their approach just a little. That's what this show is about. Because you know what? The, the trainer is responsible for making sure that the supervisors are aligned because the supervisors are going to be in the training room. So we are going to look at the next two principles of um being uh, of an effective visual workplace training, and they have to do with supervisors. And then if we have time, we'll finish the last two. Okay? So getting, principle five, getting and keeping your supervisors on board. And remember, I'm focusing on what's called the work that makes sense, the WTMS process. That is operator-led visuality. If you've got my book, it's the latest, the big yellow book that won the Shingo Prize in 2011. Okay? It's Four operators, 500 colored pictures, it's a great book. So this process, this operator-led visuality, focuses squarely on associates on the value-add level, whether you're in a bank or in um, aerospace manufacturing. Your supervisors are indispensable to the success of the rollout of the implementation, so it's vital that you get them on board and keep them on board. And this question is not as critical if your company has already trained your supervisors to serve as coaches or if you're in a high-performance, self-directed team environment, then all of this is already in place. But it is going to be critical if your company is either in the process of making that transition, kind of like from a traditional command and control or what I like to call a demand and control management approach to a more aligned empowerment approach. So I have some tips, but I want you to get the, the, um, the real shift. When we train, when we train visuality for operators, the supervisors of the targeted areas of the cells and departments where people are are coming from to the training room, they're required to attend all the training sessions. We also recommend that every manager and supervisor in the company watch all the material ahead of time. Okay? So that they are aware of ahead of time what the gist is and what the focus is. And this happens in many of the companies that we work with. Yes, we know it takes time, but in that way, supervisors, when I'm going to ask them to do something in just a moment, they will understand more fully why it's important, and there won't be that much pushback. So I think it's always a good idea if you have what one might call passive medium, 
which is a video or webinars. We do lots and lots of our training through big screen webinars, okay, that they watch it ahead of time. So they have an understanding of the nature of the change that they are supposed to support. And they are supposed to support it. Unlike the operator who is really free and encouraged to simply be and feel as they wish, to not be artificially aligned because they live in fear, the supervisors and managers, when they are in the room as supervisors and managers, are there to carry out the corporate intent. So they have to understand the underlying values, the business case, the principles, the concepts, the methods. But they have to understand, gee, you know, this is going to give us a 15 to 30% increase in productivity. Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm going to pay attention. I'm going to get with the program. Because now I'm going on to principle number six. We want to get supervisors on board, board in five. In six, we want them to keep a low profile. That's principle six. Supervisors keep a low profile. How low Can you go? I'm about to tell you. During the actual training sessions, we ask supervisors to not supervise, to keep a low profile. This profile is in keeping with the eye-driven approach that is so fundamental to, in this case, operator-led visuality, because we want to develop the confidence and skill, the engagement, and the spirited, inventive contribution of associates And we can't do that if somebody's thumb is on my head, no matter how gently it's there. Specifically, supervisors and managers are asked not to supervise improvement activity during the training session or even between the training session. There is a way that we get supervisors to actually lead improvement sessions, but not from the get-go. Please bear with me. The job of supervising the improvement activity is the training staff, the trainers. Okay? That's, that person is responsible. And the trainer, training staff has to have control over the, the canvas, the palette, the environment. Because what the trainer is doing, at least in our approach, is cultivating the eye of the operator or the value-add associates, depending on your venue. If it's the, you know, if it's an office, then the eye of the office associate. Because that eye has, in most cases, been suppressed, repressed, and not even expressive just because of everything that has come before. So we want that eye to come up. When we train supervisors, when we actually train them, for example, in visual displays, visual scheduling, then we, that is the eye in the room and the trainer is focused on bringing the eye of the supervisor up because the supervisor comes into the room as well with a lot of past, with hurts, a little bit of misunderstanding, certain distortions or whatever, and that kind of thing has to get uh, washed away. You can say healed, I don't really like that word because it sounds a little bit on, on the wrong side of weird. But it is about healing the spirit of people and their psyche. 
But this isn't group therapy. We know we're not doing psychological therapy here, but we're recognizing that if we're asking people to become scientists of their own process, whether they are a supervisor or an operator, we're going to have to clear out some of the fog, you know, the, the, the noise that comes from the old way. So we do that. But when we're training super uh, operators, we're saying to supervisors, please do not urge, persuade, exhort, demand, request, require, motivate, or even expect anything of uh, associates. It's not your job while you're in the classroom. It's not your job while we're in between training sessions doing visual blitzes. We're going to spend a show on visual blitzes. You know, we're just going to, we're going to build this whole training thing so you get it. It's a little mini training. For my friends in the Dominican Republic, I hope you're listening. <laughs> you're the ones who got me going on this. Oy. <laughs> we want operators to get on board, but we want them to get on board of their own free adult will. We ask supervisors to suspend their role as supervisors during the training session and during the blitz. That will shift, but not at the beginning, not until the eye of the operator has a chance to come out, to come out and to test the limb that we claim is there to give them support. You want me to go out on a limb? No, no, no. There is no limb. I've been through this before. That limb, if there is one, is a flimsy limb. It's going to go away. We call it flavor of the month. I ain't doing nothing. And if you've worked the way I have for decades in union plants, I may not be describing your plant. You may be very, very well socialized and uh, very willing to give of yourself. Or you may be training people like that. Very willing to give of themselves. But that's not everywhere. So I'm taking kind of the far end of the spectrum where it's difficult. What do supervisors do instead? They simply attend. They observe. They learn. They watch. But they do not make it happen. And this is hard for supervisors. You know you're used to using your weight to make things happen. But I will tell you, In not doing those things, supervisors and managers are making an invaluable contribution. They are saying through their non-behavior or their behavior that is aligned with what I'm describing that they trust the process, they trust the methodology, and they trust value-add associates to make up their own mind, to be in control of their own will, and when they are ready, to give their will to the corporate intent. Wholeheartedly many times, most of the times. They help value-add associates make the switch from passive inattention to active personal engagement. And this can only happen if supervisors do nothing do nothing. Supervisors who by nature are action-driven, results-oriented, firefighting doers. These instructions are equal in their mind to asking them to become invisible and as a result, ineffective. If I don't do anything, then I'm not doing anything. I'm not helping. If I'm not helping, I'm what? I'm nothing. 
but they are mistaken. Because in not engaging their supervisory or management skills, in not engaging what I call their positional authority, supervisors allow associates to discover their own strengths. New strengths, old strengths, the strengths that are in themselves. The skills, the ideas, and with them, a growing confidence, and with that, a growing willingness to contribute, and with that, tremendous inventions. Inventions that make measurable, concrete, tangible contributions to productivity, to safety, to quality. And this doesn't happen overnight. But it can happen and does happen quickly if the individuals with those qualities are already highly de- with with if the individuals with those qualities already i should say the supervisors and managers take a passive role during the training sessions and during the hands-on exercises that we call blitzes they keep a low profile and that's principle 5 to keep a low profile what do they do instead oh my goodness we're going to give them some knitting to do well, I will tell you after the next break. So we're going into our last break, and we will um, fill in some of the pieces when you come back. I look forward to it. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. Welcome back to the third, I I should say the fourth and final segment of our show today. We are in the third show of our series on becoming a brilliant visual workplace trainer. Today we're focusing on the role of the supervisor because you need to know how to organize those powerful people in the room. Now, 
next show, I'll talk a little bit about what happens when your supervisor is the trainer. And I'm going to talk about that because I know some of you are, that is your, that is your process. That's the way training happens. And I want to talk to you about how to help supervisors, um, uh, deal with training that's quite systematic and has a lot of content to it. But, um, but right now we're talking about training and trainers as though the training function is done by trainers who are pretty much dedicated or at least when trainings come along, you give that training function over to them. And what we talked about just before the break is that this kind of shift of getting supervisors, managers as well, on board, but having them keep a low profile doesn't happen very, very quickly. It takes some getting used to, and you will have to tell them before the training starts, and you will have to remind them at the beginning of every training and check in with them after each session saying, how did it go? Were you okay with this? Because it's an uncomfortable role for people who are usually highly active and also in positional authority, also out there leading or at least the ver- the version of leading that is going down as leadership in your plant but what is de- what is is dependent on that is if the supervisor doesn't take more of a background role if you don't want to use the word passive more of a background role the operators will not be able to find themselves Yes, those who contribute will contribute, and those who are grumpy will stay grumpy and on the edges, you know, on the fringe. But you won't really be able to operationalize the principle of empowerment. Empowerment is not a blessing that we simply bestow. Bless you, bless you, you're now empowered. Empowerment is a is operationalizing new behavior, but not in isolation. You can't empower operators and value-out associates if you don't also address the role of the supervisor and the manager. Okay? So it is more of a shaping process than an instant mandate. You will be empowered, and supervisors, you will be coaches. Because I'm going to get to this right now. Supervisors, and I'm including managers in there as well, they're even more um, uh, ferocious, fierce in their skill set <laughs> of doing and getting things done. Supervisors are asked not to manage the process or the people in the usual sense of that term. Instead, they are asked to do as follows. And this is what we say. The most helpful thing you can do Now, to support the visual conversion is this. Do nothing. Do nothing. Don't suggest, don't ask, and don't answer. In fact, what we say to supervisors, and we do this, um, you know, two or three weeks before the training starts, and then we remind them. We powwow for five or six minutes before the training starts outside the room. We check in with them afterwards. And I don't want to sound rude. When I say this, I have tremendous respect for supervisors, as you should have. They are the glue that holds the whole darn plane together while it is taking off, flying, and landing. They're the glue, the supervisors are. But we will ask supervisors, we will say like this, what we'd like you to do is to respond to questions with a question. 
any question you're asked, you say something like, well, hmm, what do you think? Or, well, hmm, what would you do? Or even, well, uh, I'm not sure. Or, this is a supervisor talking, ask a question. Hey, boss, what should I do here? Hey, boss, what, what kind of visual device do you think I should work on? Hey, boss, how, what, what do you think I should do with this motion? What kind of a device do you think this motion would trigger? Well, you know, hey, boss. And boss says, you know, you got me. You got me. I'm learning along with you. Or if you don't want to say you're learning, just say, you know what, I can hardly, you could say this as well. You know, well, I can hardly wait to see what you come up with. I'm more interested in that than I'm interested in what I come up with because I tell you, I've been coming up with things for years and we still got a problem. So now you got a chance to help me. So some supervisors will find this approach a little odd or even offensive. Nevertheless, this low-profile principle still needs to be shared with supervisors before trainers, before they come to your first training session with frequent reminders along the way, before, during, and after. Make sure you meet with your supervisors regularly. Let them tell you about their discomfort, about their issues. Have a discussion. This is so important. I'm calling this, if you remember the term, the A-cycle, where you are learning how to train. And that means you have to learn how to be effective with your supervisors and how to align your supervisors with the principles and values of this training if you want to get that 15 to 30% increase in throughput. You can bring others in as partners to the same kind of discussion, but keep open, keep going, keep giving these supervisors lots of credit for their effort and their support, for their effort in learning a new way, in learning a new way. And, you know, I haven't really gone into detail about the management champion. I don't want to get too many layers here. But I do want you to bring in help, but don't bring in power, positional. Make, you know, the management champion said you got to do this. And if a a supervisor feels really uncomfortable being in the room, and by the way, we always seat supervisors at a different table, and we always require them to turn off their PDAs, and they always have, we always require them to pay attention so that the energy in the room stays congruent. And, 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 you know, they long to be at that table, they will see their operators struggling and they'll know exactly what their struggle is their hearts will go out and you say nail your foot to the floor stay at your table and talk amongst yourselves with your fellow supervisors about motion about information deficits or about the agony you're right you're feeling right now and if somebody comes up to you with a question you say well you know what what do you think and if they persist if people say come on boss you got to help me i'm stuck you say you know what I think I hear my mother calling. Or you know what? I got to go out and find myself a Pepsi because all they have at that table is Coke. And I love Pepsi. I'll be back in about three days. (laughs) You're on your own, Marianne. Okay, do it with humor. And they'll know, they'll catch on pretty darn quickly that you are learning a new way too. They're learning a new way. You're learning a new way. We are trying to get the eye to come up. And the only way that we can get the eye to come up is for you to leave the eye alone. Because the people who are in that training room learning, learning to be a different kind of thinker, 
are adults just like you and me. Hmm? They have responsible lives with their church, with their family, volunteering at the hospital as firemen and firewomen, responsible lives. We want to bring that strength into their workplace for their own enjoyment, for their own flow, and for the benefit, of course, of the company in support of the corporate intent. Intent. So you're going to train, and, you know, it's not a big deal once you get the hang of it, but it is a shift in paradigm. And I want to encourage you to consider these things and maybe even to lend a podcast of this show to a supervisor and just say, hey, you know, if we made this change, what would you think? Would you, uh, does this make sense to you? I had a wonderful time with you today, as I always do. I love sharing this and I love hearing from you. So please send your emails, send them about this show, send your questions. We'll line them up for our uh, call-in show at the end of the month. And thank you very, very much for coming to the Visual Workplace. And now I'm going to say I'm Gwendolyn Galsworth, and I'm signing off. (laughs) We appreciate your joining us this week for the Visual Workplace, work that makes sense. Please tune in for another episode next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific, featuring your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Thanks again for listening.